Our word, uh, our scripture today comes from uh, two different books. Our first scripture is from Luke 1, verses uh, 13 through 18. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine and liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will burn, he will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. And now we'll come from Psalm 80, verses 4 through 7. Lord God of heavenly forces, how long will you fume against your people's prayers? You fed them bread made with tears. You've given them tears to drink three times over. You've put us at odds with our neighbors. Our enemies make fun of us. Restore us, God of heavenly forces. Make your face shine so that we may be saved. This is the word of God for all people. Amen. You may be seated. Most holy and gracious God, we've heard your word. We've heard your word for your people for such a time as this. So touch hearts and touch minds. Touch my mouth, the words of my mouth, that they may represent you, that they may edify your people. And help us, Lord, to take these words out into the streets out into the streets so that we may share the goodness of your love and the coming of Jesus, our Savior. And it is in his name we pray, amen. Well, you know what they say, rich people are expected to have it all, and poor people have nothing. Luke gives us these, expect, or Luke reverses these expectations in his book. So he begins what is often referred to as the birth narratives, and he turns the conventional wisdom upside down. Luke uses the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus to demonstrate social reversal. Now, Zechariah is a priest from the hill country near Jerusalem, and two weeks out of the year, his division of priests is on duty at the temple. And this is where we find Zechariah at the beginning of Luke's story, faithfully going about his ordinary priestly duties. But then he's chosen by Lot to enter into the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, and to offer the incense offering. His service quickly becomes anything but ordinary. The angel Gabriel appears to him to announce Elizabeth will conceive and bear a son a son to be named John who will bring them joy and gladness. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit and set apart for a special purpose to prepare the way of the Lord and to make a people ready to be prepared to receive the Lord. So we have an older Baron Elizabeth 
birthing who would become known to us as John the Baptist, and Mary, an unwed teenager, birthing the Savior of the world. So from the outset, we can see the biblical story is one of God choosing unlikely candidates and using unexpected ways to fulfill God's purposes. Yes, the world is about to get interesting, and we're going to get shaken up. So Luke identifies Zechariah and Elizabeth as well-to-do people, those rich people I talked about earlier. They are well-to-do people of Jewish ancestry. They're both descendants of Aaron. They're from the priestly line. They belong to the upper class, and yet their status cannot stop the aging process or give them children. But status alone did not distinguish this couple. Luke tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous before God. And it is during Zechariah's routine, note routine service, in the temple that the angel Gabriel appears to him. And Zechariah's response to Gabriel demonstrates that this is surprising news indeed. For he says, how will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. Notice in this version, he clarified he didn't call her old. He said, my wife is getting on in years. He didn't want to get in trouble. So here is old and childish Elizabeth, who is thought to be barren. And um, we know now that in biblical times, if a couple could not have children, the barrenness was born. The shame of the barrenness was born, born by the wives. And modern science has taught us differently. Now we know that up to 40% of infertile couples are infertile. The male's infertility is a contributing factor. Okay. So just so we know, in biblical times, it was Elizabeth's shame to bear. But after years of faithful service and righteous living, the announcement from the angel must have seemed stunning. And Zechariah, rightly so, expresses uh, his doubts. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you express your doubts? The couple would have been praying and praying for some portion or some variation of Psalm 80 that we just read. They would have probably prayed this prayer throughout the years of their marriage. Restore us. Make your face shine so that we may be saved. How many years had they prayed that prayer you are the God of heaven. Wake up your powers. It's nice when you can be bold to God. Wake up your powers. Show yourself. Stop me from drinking these bitter, salty tears. Zechariah and Elizabeth would have been weary. Don't you think they would have been weary? Years and years of unanswered prayers. And now that he knows the prayer has been answered, Zechariah is silenced, silenced. He can't tell anybody about the encounter with the angel, not even Elizabeth. And I thought, well, gosh, if Zechariah can't talk to anybody but God for nine months, there was a purpose in that. Talk to me. What does that mean? In his long silence, Zechariah had plenty of time to ponder Gabriel's words and God's intentions. Nine months in thoughts and in deeds and in prayers, speaking to the Lord. 
But then I wondered, why is this our theme for the Advent season? Kind of a downer, don't you think? Look at the graphic. Look at the graphic. Blues and dark greens and even blacks in the corners. Where's the gold? Where's the red? We got no bells, no ribbons. But look closer. Look closer and notice that the dark edges, the blackness, seems to be being pushed back. And the center of the image, the brighter colors, are moving to the forefront, pushing out the darkness. Look closer, take another look, and notice that even in the blackness, there are stars shining, darkness and light. Jesus is the light that comes to us even in our dark times. Jesus is the light that comes to us in our weary times. So our theme really is realistic. We are living in weary times now, and the world was weary when Christ was born. Just weary. Christ was born into a weary world. King Herod, King Herod ruled the land with ruthlessness. The Romans treated the Israelite people with contempt. They imposed harsh taxes and land seizures and forced many into subsistence farming. Poverty and destitution were pervasive. And yet, Christ was born, bringing good news of great joy to all of the people. So this Advent series and its title really is based off of a poem by Reverend Sarah Speed. And her poem actually was inspired by the song, O Holy Night. And so often, you know, when we sing Christmas songs or Christmas carols, we focus on the good news. At least I'm going to say I do. I focus on O Holy Night, fall on your knees, hear the angels' voices. I'm telling you, it's the only part I know, right? <laughs> and, then, and we don't sing or we gloss over why Christ had to come. And the words are in that song. O Holy Night has a really a very interesting history. The song was originally written by a French poet who was an atheist. And the music was supplied by a Jewish composer. The hymn was later translated into English by an American Unitarian minister. And in the 1800s, it became a popular hymn for Christian abolitionists due to the justice-focused language in verse 3. Hear now. Truly, he taught us how to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for, slave, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. All oppression shall cease. So yes, it was a holy night. And we fall on our knees because the coming Savior is coming to break chains and bring an end to oppression. So with Advent and Christmas, you know, they, they, they stir up a vast mix of emotions, right? There's holiday cheer, right? Family warmth, okay, family warmth, plenty of retail therapy, don't even have to leave the house, 
pajama clicking. And I'm one, I like to put stuff in the cart and come back later because I like to think about it and do I really need it? And most of the time it's no, but put it in the cart anyway. And then they send an email saying, hey, you forgot what's in your cart. You know you want it. I know I want it, but really. And now they'll even text you. Did you forget what's in your And will I give away my email and my phone number for 40% off? Yes, ma'am, I will. <laughs> I will. So then, you, and so then you have, because I'm letting them text me because I have this FOMO. Y'all know what that is? I learn something new every day. FOMO, fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out on a deal. And then there are these constitutionally mandated trips home that often have the potential to end in ruin. So why are we weary? What are we weary about during this holiday season? What burdens our hearts? What makes it hard for you to sing joy to the world or to do the holiday shopping or to do the holiday meal planning? We're suffering with grief. We're suffering with the taste of salty tears and the hopelessness that we carry. We are fearful. We are fearful when the phone rings because we're worried it might be a call from the school counselor, the hospital, a creditor about an overdue bill. And every time we turn on the television or we glance at our phones, there's an update, another report of an incidence of gun violence, wars and hostages and refugees, extreme poverty in too many parts of the world. And there are things, quite frankly, that, are, that often don't even make it into our news. So, you know, fears of political unrest. And I just, as I was preparing, I thought about the fact that members of our congregation that have uh, come here from Liberia have been asking for prayer due to the elections that took place there during the fall. General elections were held in Liberia in October to elect the president, the House of Representatives, and half of the Senate. And no candidate for president won the majority in the first round, which meant a runoff. You know, we're barely civil here on a runoff. Y'all know. So the incumbent lost and conceded the election peacefully. Why was that significant? Why were we in prayer? We were in prayer because Liberia has a history of civil violence surrounding contested elections. And in particular, in 1985, there was a coup attempt, and that coup attempt was the, one of the root causes of the first Liberian civil war. Talk to a member of our congregation. Find out about their experiences. Hear their testimonies. Understand the weariness that they experienced at that time, but also get a glimpse of the hope, of the hope. The world is weary. So we start the season with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they have battled infertility and have lived many years steadfast, steadfast in their faith. The angel comes, and he has this promise of good news, but Zechariah can't receive it. Sometimes weariness can harden us. Weariness can prevent us from living fully. We've had hard journeys, and grief has left its scar. 
So this is how we approach Advent. This is how we come to Advent, with all of our baggage. We're loaded down. We need to, though, acknowledge our grief. We have to acknowledge our weariness. We have to acknowledge the ways that we've been hardened by disbelief, grief, never-ending family drama, how we've been hardened by images of war and another mass shooting, how we've been hardened by the hospital bill or the cutoff notice. And like the psalmist in our psalm for today, we cry out and we ask, how long will you fume against your people's prayer? And we cry out, restore us, restore us. But you may ask, why do I have to acknowledge my weariness? Can I just fake it till I make it until January 1st? I'm not the only one. All right. Can I grin and bear it? Can I grin and bear it? Can you wear that smile on your face like it's a veneer? You'll say, I've done it for years. But we need to acknowledge our weariness for several reasons. First of all, we need to acknowledge our weariness as a testimony for somebody else to hear. Somebody needs to know that you made it, that you made it over, so that they can know that they too can make it over. You can be a source of hope. And on the other hand, you may need to hear a testimony. You may need to hear a story. Know that sometimes your help, this is what my, one of my first pastors said to me, or to us, your help is on the row, looking right, look right or left, but you won't share. And the answer to your prayer is sitting right next to you. So we can't be, the other reason we need to acknowledge our weariness is so we can't be proud of how tough we are. We have to move ourselves out of the way in any thoughts that we can fix it or that it's within your power to fix it. And then that allows God the room to move in and act once we're out of the way. And lastly, the reason we acknowledge our weariness is that our weariness is an act of resistance. Ever thought of joy as an act of resi resistance? What about hope as an act of resistance? John 10.10 10 reads, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came so that we may have and fully enjoy life, that we may have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. So we need to resist the ways the world, the ways of the world that act to steal our joy and leave us hopeless. I'm going to say that again. We need to resist the ways of the world that act to steal our joy and leave us hopeless. So let's look again at O Holy Night. Yes, it's a song about the night that Jesus was born, and yes, it is a song of resistance, but it is also a song of aspirations. Hear these words. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. 
It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. With a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, because this is the night our Savior is born. Can we be weary and hopeful? Can we say yes? I'm weary, but, yes, I'm weary, but I will be restored because the light of the world is about to enter in. Therefore, I have hope. Yes, I'm weary, but my hope is in God who is more than able. Yes, I'm weary, but I'm not talking about positive, toxic positivity today. We are not faking it until we make it. We'll be weary, but we'll have hope. And I need people to please hear me here. I don't want to gloss over the pain of those of us who have dealt with or are dealing with infertility. As a child of the Most High God, I lived with the hope even in my own weariness. I lived with the hope up until the time of my hysterectomy. You know, they teach us in biology, one sperm got to hit one egg. Right? Boom. And that was my hope. So even in my loss and even in my pain and even in my sorrow, I had hope. So we as Christians, we need to live with the expectation, with the anticipation of a future where God's purposes are for our fulfilled. Our hope is based on God's faithfulness as demonstrated through the work of the Holy Spirit. So there are times when we just have to lean in, right? We've got to lean in on that hope, especially when we're weary, when we're tired, when we've prayed out. We have to lean in and remember who calls you by name. We have to lean in on the hope that the light of the world will be born on Christmas Day. Lean in on the hope knowing that Jesus is coming to save us Lean in on the hope that Jesus came to give us the abundant life to the overflow. Lean in knowing that Jesus is mine and I am his. Lean in knowing that no matter how low I go, God is with me. God is faithful and I know it. Lean in hoping, lean in on hope knowing that I have hope because I've loved before and I will love again. I lean in on hope because victory is mine. I may not see it or feel it today, but I know victory is coming because I have hope. My hope is that one day the entire world will know the freedom in Christ Jesus and justice will prevail because the light of the world is coming. I know that I will not live in weariness forever because my hope is in the one to come Christmas Day. My hope is an act of resistance. 
Your hope should be an act of resistance in a world that is weary, in a world that is often dark and where many people don't see the light. But see, we read in Lamentations 3, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let us pray. Shepherd of Israel, listen. You, the one who leads Joseph as if he were a sheep, you who are enthroned upon the winged heavenly creatures, show yourself, wake up your power, come to save us, Restore us, God. Make your face shine so that we can be saved. Let your hand be with me. Be with me who stands on your right side. Let your hand be with me, the one you have secured as your own. Then I will not turn away from you. Revive me, Lord, so that we can call on your name. Restore us, Lord God, Jesus. Restore us, Lord God of heavenly forces. Make your face to shine. Save us, Lord. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>